Hey there, folks. Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today we are talking success and the difference between success and failure, the difference between how you can, well, the process for how you can go from sucking, completely sucking, totally sucking to success. My guest today is Todd Palmer, and he knows that growth happens only when we lean into the uncomfortable. And he knows this from his personal experience. He went from being a struggling entrepreneur with over 600000 in debt to making the Inc. 5000 a total record or a record total of six times. And he's the CEO of one of America's fastest growing companies. Today, he's a collaborative business advisor. He's the CEO of a company called Extraordinary Advisors. And he helps his clients ditch their comfort zone and dive into their failures and reframe their mindset to be more authentic, transparent, and vulnerable to affect real change along the path to success. He knows that business success begins and ends with people, and he isn't happy until his clients trust themselves and their decisions. His job is only finished when teams trust the leaders and each other, when the CEOs and their leadership teams take action towards high-level achievement, resulting in clients that trust the company. That means more sales, more profit, more partnerships. Todd's the author of the number one international Amazon bestseller, From Suck to Success, a guide for extraordinary entrepreneurship. Here he is, my brand new friend, Todd Palmer. All right, Todd, you had me at suck. There you go, Dave. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I, should, I wish I could just take you everywhere I go and just have you walk in and introduce me. You're awesome. That was tremendous. Thank you so much. It's great to have you here. Talk to our friends, everyone listening, everyone watching about what it's like to be at the bottom of that $600,000 pit and compare it and contrast it to where you are now on top of the world. So, well, it, I appreciate the question. I know when when I was at my worst, you know, it, the, the the blessing of being here today on your show is my mess has become my message. You know, when you're six hundred thousand dollars in debt, you, the bank calls your loan. And they're going to take your home. You're a single parent like I was, and you're going to lose everything. Your itty bitty negative committee is pretty large. Your imposter syndrome is just at least mine was just screaming at me, and, and for good reason. It had six hundred thousand good reasons to scream at me, but I didn't realize that I had to do inside out leadership in order to change the company. I had to look within versus blaming without. And I, and that's what I would do. I would, you know, it was the economy, it was the clients, it was the marketplace. It, what it was always, the reality is, and I find this with every client I work with, there's always one problem in business. It's people. And typically it's the person at the top. And it was me. And I used to only define success as having a $20 million company. And the, and I, so if the company was doing well, I was great company was doing better. I was a rock star. We had one bad week. All of a sudden, the company sucked, and so did I. It was just this elevator of misery. So now, what I what I've done is I, I as I've pivoted into coaching and retired as a CEO, you know, I've realized that success for me is a very singular experience. And what I put in the book is I want to reclaim the word extraordinary. An extraordinary life for me is doing what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as often as I want to do it. An extraordinary life for me is being a servant leader to my clients and enjoying their ride, their journey to a successful outcome. And the great thing about it is they're all singular. They're all extraordinary because they're all different things. So for me, I took the number out of it, pivoted into what I 
what I could control, which is my mindset coming into it. And, and that's really how I've been able to go from personally go from sucking to success. Okay. So somebody comes to you and they say, Hey Todd, I, uh, you're the right guy for me because I have this overwhelming debt and I want to be successful. What is, what is step one is step one playing the mental game with them and helping them get their head straight or is step one going in the business and tinkering around as if it's a 65 Chevy. Like what is step one when somebody comes to you and they're in a similar situation to when, to where you were? So step one for me is to approach it with massive curiosity. And I want to peel away at that onion. Because a lot of times is what coaches will do. And I know my, I've had, I've had coaches in my life since 2006 and the best ones I have never took the surface to answer first. So for example, I would say, well, it's the economy, stupid, or it's money, or it's my staff. And they would just continue to dig and continue to dig and continue to dig and continue to dig. And, and I do the same thing with my clients. So if a, if a client says to me, you know, uh, my, my revenue's flat, I'm not growing. Okay, that makes sense. That can see that would be frustrating. So I want to validate that experience. But ultimately, I want to dig into who controls the sales team? Who hired the sales team? What KPIs are in place? What are the measure bills around that? What products and services are you offering? I really get into the muck of it all. And then I often find that someone's not doing their job. Someone's not holding someone accountable. You know, I hired my cousin Fred to, to be my salesperson, and he's terrible, but I can't fire him because mm. he's family. Heard that one. Um, I had one client who was had, had a marketing person, the chief marketing officer, who was underperforming. And it, the client eventually had to let that person go. And he, the gap in the six-month period was the story he told himself was, nice people don't fire mm. people. Well, he gets the CMO to eventually quit. Revenue grows 70%. Profits grow 500% because he got the bottleneck out of the way. CEOs need to figure out that they only have two jobs. Remove bottlenecks and to make it easy for customers to work with you and easy for employees to work with you. You do that, you're going to be on a track to success. So as a coach, the first thing I figure out is where are the bottlenecks? And I discovered that through massive curiosity. Okay, that's great. So you so you dig in and you see things with fresh eyes. How does a an entrepreneurial leader who start from started from nothing and builds his business up how does he realize that he needs somebody like you? Because my, my experience working with entrepreneurs is they're the ultimate, you know, fix it myself, glue, spit and prayer, you know, throw duct tape over it to get by. Right. So there's an evolution that has to take place to go from being an entrepreneur to being a true CEO. If somebody's listening today, what are the signs they should be looking for that they need to they need to have somebody to bounce ideas off of? Great question. So from my experience was for me, I had hit my what I call my entrepreneurial rock bottom. You know, people you talk about people who talk to people who've been through rehab or through, you know, drug and alcohol dependency programs, they've got to hit bottom. And that requires a certain level of self-awareness. And I agree with you that most entrepreneurs in the beginning, I know I didn't have that awareness. I told myself I'm a rugged individualist. I don't need to ask for help. But when I had more self-awareness and I realized, obviously, the bank called my note, it, whatever I was doing wasn't working. And I had two choices to make. I could continue to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, or I could raise my hand and ask for some help. And that's what I eventually decided to do. I find when, when people come to me, you know, hiring a coach is a very much, there's got to be chemistry. And you know, it's their journey. I guide them on their journey. 
they have to trust that I am going to come at them like like the you know, like the um, the title of your show, you know, with inside BS. I'm not going to accept their their lines because I gave them all, and I'm not going to expect accept their deflections because I was better at it than probably they are, and I'm not going to accept their excuses to them not getting what they say they want because they need accountability. Entrepreneurs don't become entrepreneurs because they want a boss. They get stuck and they get they get wrapped up in the the misery of it all because they don't have hold themselves accountable. That's often why they hire a coach. I hold my clients accountable to what they say they want, not what I think they should do, but what they agree to themselves to do. Yeah. So validate this thinking for me because uh, I've I've seen this before, and you're you have a, a high degree of experience not only in building a business but coaching people. So people will say to me oftentimes, well, I, you know, I've seen you speak. I've heard I've heard what you're what you're all about and I don't see anything new there. And I turn to them and mm -hmm. I say, that's precisely what you need. You need somebody in your face telling you what you already know, but telling you in a way in a repetitive fashion so that you don't ignore it anymore. Has that been your experience as a as a coach, too? I mean, look, there's nothing new out there. We just need someone we have chemistry with who's going to hit us in the mouth with exactly what we need. Yeah, I can see where that would really work for a lot of people. Uh, my style is to – someone says, you know, I've, I've, I've seen it all before. You offer me nothing. Me new. Oh, great. So of I'm offering, what have you seen before? And inevitably, in that digging process, something will come mm. to the surface. Like I said, I, I, I've often been brought in by many of my clients after they've had a failed coaching relationship with somebody else. Because that coach, and here's where I find the, the, the differentiators between guys like you and I versus people who teach a process. There's great processes out there. There's EOS, there's scaling up, and every business needs a process. I think what guys like you and I do is we recognize and realize that someone's not doing a process that they know. And they're not doing a process that best serves them. I get really curious on why someone wouldn't do that. Why would you, you know, take it, take it out of business? Why would you sign up for a gym membership and never go to tell all your friends you have a gym yeah. membership? You know, this is this isn't a spa where someone's going to take care of you. This is a gym. You got to show up, and I'll be your personal trainer, and I'll take you around the gym, and I'll show you how to use all the equipment, and I'll give you a diet that will help you get this the health goals you want. But you got to do the work, and when you don't do the work. I get really curious because inevitably, just like with me, I knew a lot of the right things to do. I just didn't do them. I get fired up when I have the, the client has those light bulb moments of self-awareness on why they're not doing it. Does it go back to childhood? Does it go back to the, the spouse they've chosen or the, the, the dysfunctional within the teams? Once we get them unstuck around that and they make different decisions, they get different okay. results. Uh, no, I appreciate that. I think that's I think that's a great approach. And I love the gym analogy. What I what I find a lot, and tell me if you see this to be true too, we got the guy who comes in that only does upper body. He doesn't want to do legs, right? They want to do half the process. Listen, I'll buy into your yep. process, but only this half. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, and here's my theory around why they don't do it, because to do legs in your analogy is uncomfortable. Right. You know, if you got a big upper body and you got bird legs, well, yeah, it's uncomfortable. And you don't get that sense of feeling. The only growth, going back to your, your the gym analogy, the only muscle growth I've ever seen anybody experience is through the tough work, it is through fatiguing the muscle, is to breaking down the old tissue to build the new tissue. Business really, in its essence, is no different. Repairing relationships in your company, repairing relationships in your family are no different. When we lean into those uncomfortable moments, recognize they're going to be hard conversations, come up with language tracks to guide us through them, 
that's where the growth is going to come from. And, and you know, and if you go to the gym and you, like I said, you just do the upper body, well, great, you're going to be misshapen. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be out of proportion. And it's in, in those areas where people, if they just did the uncomfortable, realizing that they will get through it and they will be okay, then their body will be much more proportion. So let's, let's talk about this. Let's get into this discomfort that people feel. You know, I, I spend a lot of time examining things in my life that make me uncomfortable, that I've pushed through, that become areas of big success for me. And I think to myself, maybe it'll be easier the next time I have to push through something that's uncomfortable, but it wouldn't be uncomfortable then, would it? <laughs> so talk about how we as business leaders need to recognize these areas of discomfort and then give us your, give us your thoughts on how we get through that. So the, the, I think you're absolutely right. Is The first thing is recognition. You know, no one told me when I started off my company when I was 27, how success would look and how the struggles around failure would look. And, and no one told me how normal they are. You know, as a, as a, as a young person, I thought, you know, that, that in order to be successful is basically you start at the bottom and you go to the top, reach for the stars. When really it's more like a corkscrewing roller coaster of misery and, and, and frustration at times. And so had I known what, what ride I was getting onto, I thought I was getting, you know, top to bottom versus the corkscrew. That helps to recognize that, you know, the, the imposter syndrome for every entrepreneur comes from feeling like you're not enough, to feeling like your other people have got it figured out and you don't, you're less than. Thinking you have to be the oracle and be all things to all people on all topics all the time. I didn't know that. So when I wrote my book, I kind of wrote the book to address what the questions I had at 27 that I hadn't even come up with, that I hadn't even come up with yet. So as, you know, as I coach my clients, I help them recognize what they're going through is probably pretty normal what they're going through, the bottlenecks they're facing, you know, these aren't new things. It, it's how we approach them in a very, I, I treat all my clients the same. I treat them all as individuals. So I each approach them individually where they are in the moment. And I often find that, you know, the, well, the, the business may be running okay. The bottleneck isn't necessarily even in the business. It's in their family life. It's how they approach things. And once we figure out that life is the curriculum beyond business, then that's where the really the breakthroughs come in and, and people experience not only massive growth professionally, but most most important for me is the massive growth they experience personally. Yeah, you know, one of the things that made me feel like I was no longer a unique failure in business was Jerry Jones. I heard Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, tell a story. And I forget what the interview was. It was it's gotta be over a decade ago, but he tells the story about how when he was first starting out in business, he was going on a trip to sell somebody something and he gets to the Hertz counter and he puts his credit card down to rent the car and the card doesn't go through. And he says, now I had paid some of my bills and he's got this draw, right? I had paid some of my bills that month, but I guess I didn't pay that bill. And when I heard that story and I, I immediately reflected back on you know, going to a, a like a Staples to buy stuff for my business and taking out my cards going, oh, crap, which one can I give them? <laughs> you know, I mean, when yeah. I heard that story, this guy who was at that point so successful, right, still so successful, I thought to myself, this happens. This is this is part of, you know, many people's not everybody's, but many people's entrepreneurial journey. Just the fact that you know, there's going to be some stumbles along the way. Hearing somebody else say that they stumbled along the way 
made me feel more normal. So tell me about imposter syndrome. Why did you decide to try and tackle imposter syndrome in, in this book? Well, for me, to your point is, is to, I tackled it because people don't talk about it. I tackled it because people don't understand it. I tackled it because it was one of the biggest hindrances in my life. And to be authentic, transparent, and vulnerable is the opposite of dealing with your imposter syndrome. So to even come on your show today and say, hey, I still suffer from imposter syndrome at this time. It's important, I think, for people to recognize that you know, if you think of your, your business as if it's like a, a two-seater sports car, and when imposter syndrome is in charge and it's behind the wheel, it's driving all your decisions. It's driving your life. When you switch seats with it and the imposter syndrome moves over to the passenger seat, it's still going to be there. It's still going to be in your ear, but maybe it's not as loud. Maybe it's not as quiet. You're going to have a little bit more control of your situation. And also we have to remember, you know, with imposter syndrome, at one point in our evolution as human beings, it actually served us well. And it came from that, that part of our brain that was to protect us, you know, from being eaten by the dinosaurs and from putting our fingers in light sockets. But recognize that it doesn't always have to run the show, drive the car. So I, I wanted to talk about the imposter syndrome because I found that it's often something people feel like I was just in Texas and I just did a whole speech on this. It's something that, that people feel, but they can't label and they can't identify. And because they can't label it and identify it, they don't want to mm. talk about it. And they don't want to talk about that. You know, if you're in business for 10 years, you're still, you're a success. The real the reality is most businesses, eight out of 10 fail over the course of time. And then if you get into a group like an EO or a YPO, you're at the, the top of the mountain, but you still have imposter syndrome. I mean, a, a buddy of mine, Brian Scudamore, from 1-800-GOT-JUNK contributed to my book. And he talks about his imposter syndrome in my book. If you look at Brian's company, he's what, $700 million company? And he has imposter syndrome? So for someone to stand up like Jerry Jones did and say, I have my struggles too. We're more alike than we are different. I think is a powerful message for anybody's yeah, audience to hear. Yeah. So what is the best way to break through that? So when you're, when you're now, people are going to recognize it, right? They're, they hear us talk about it. People are mm -hmm. going to recognize it, or maybe they already recognize it in themselves. So they recognize it. They label it. They got a label for it now. Okay, I'm going through imposter syndrome. How do I break through? So for me, I, I think there's a way to turn the imposter syndrome from, for your own version from suck to success, and it's figuring out ultimately what is your purpose? And I know that sounds probably like, like uh, you know, just, just your average drivel pavlum. But if you really uh, – so I worked with Simon Sinek a dozen years ago. And he helped me over two years figure out two words, improve lives. That's my purpose in life. That's my purpose in coaching. That was my purpose when I ran my six-time Inc. 5000 company, Diversified Industrial Staffing. That was my purpose. And it, when I have purpose, it drives my decisions. When that purpose drives my decisions, then I come up with a way to manage through that. And I, I always go to the Ikigai model. You know, where can I, you know, do what I'm most passionate and purposeful around? What, where does it, where will the marketplace pay for it? And where can I, you know, provide service? And in the Ikigai model, when we figure out where all those six circles collapse and lay over each other, that's the magic. It's the work required. It took me two years to figure that out. And then from that two years on, it took me another seven years to start coaching full time. It's not an overnight mm. success model. But when we realize you know, what, what our purpose is, there's a, there's a model I talk about in the book at, at, at the end of every one of the chapters, and it's called the active learning cycle. So to break out of the imposter syndrome, you take your guy, you apply it over the active learning cycle, which ties into your purpose, and then you're able to pivot out of any problem you're facing. 
and realize 99% of problems happen for you, not to you. During COVID, I was supposed to be on six different stages in front of on three different continents in front of my ideal audience of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and leaders. Within two weeks, that was all gone. I, in full honesty, I had a two-day pity party. I was really good. I had a table for one. I had wine and cheese constantly. Nobody cared. The reality was it was my pity party. So then I decided I'm going to, I'm in the, working on the book now. I've got plenty of free time. I'm going to, I'm going to double down on my purpose. I talked with 42 CEOs in 67 days because I volunteered the hell out of that thing. You know how many clients I got from that? I got zero. My business since last March has grown 300% because those 42 CEOs became my sales force. And then I appeared on more podcasts and interviews and worked with other CEOs to get the message out there. Because I doubled down on why I do this. Not how I did it, because the how, speaking from stage, was removed. Why I do it got me out of my imposter, got me out of my itty-bitty negative committee to get me where I'm at now, which is being on your yeah, show. No, I, I, I love that. And I found the same thing. I was struggling with I was struggling with breaking through from six to seven figures. And so I went to to meet with Alan Weiss, who's written 60 something books and he's a mentor to soul practitioners all over the place. So I go to his house with a small group of people and we're there and he goes around the table. OK, tell me why you're here. Tell me what you're hoping to get out of today. And I said, well, you know, I want to break out. I want to break through from six to seven figures. And here's the thing. I, you know, I have this plan, blah, 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 blah. He's like, throw that away. It's all wrong. He's like, you're asking you're asking the wrong question. The, the question that you should be asking yourself is, why am I doing this? And I said, well, I just told you I, I, I said I, I just told you I want to go from six to seven figures. Wrong question. And then he moves on to the next person. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you're not going to give me the answer? Come on. It took me the whole day to get the answer. And the answer was, if I just focused on helping more people, helping business people make a great living and live a great life, if I focused on helping more people do that, the money would take care of itself. That was that my yep. purpose, my mission in life, right, has to be to help people make a great living and live a great life, help as many people do that as possible. That's what led me to doing this show. And it leads me to do everything that I do. That's the underlying. It's the foundation. It's the reason why I do everything I do. Now that I'm focused on that, the money does really just take care of itself because you strive constantly for you look for new ways to fulfill that mission to achieve that purpose. Yep. And to me, that was that's like the best business breakthrough you can give anyone to realize that, you know, you have a purpose, go back to what your purpose is and figure out how you can expand, you know, whatever your purpose is, expand the service of that purpose to people and that's when you'll figure out. That that's what drives all the innovation. Because you try, you know, you can only do so much yourself. You got to scale it. Now, you you talk a lot about that. So talk about um, picking the right people and making sure that everybody is, you know, everybody is in alignment. How do we make sure we pick the right people? Because you you've had a tremendous amount of experience with this over the years. Sure. Um, so for me, picking the right people comes down to what are my core values as a leader and my core values as a company. And, and core values only matter if we're willing to hire and fire by them. So when my business was in, in, in really bad shape, I hired people only with experience. They had experience. They had been recruiters. They had been in HR. Recruiting company makes sense. I scrapped that model and came up with a model called hire for DNA, not for resume. I can teach a really good human being to be a good recruiter. I can't teach a decent recruiter who's a horrible human being to be a good human being. It's just kind of reverse engineered that process. And, and it came out of 
again, mindset work of intention, not expectation. Going back to your, I love your wife's story. You know, you went in there with a, you know, an expectation that I'm going to do this and I'm going to get that. Well, the reality is we actually use a different part of our brain when we're intentionally focused. So we created these, these, these crazy contests to get, out when we were, to get out of debt. So the first thing is I recognized being in debt didn't work for me. That's the first step in my process. Second step is I created an intention, not an expectation of how to get out of debt. Well, I don't know how I'm going to get out of debt. Well, let's create a bunch of strategies around the intention, not the expectation of getting out of debt. And I shared that with the team. In the first interview, when people would come to interview with me as I rebuilt the company, I would, I would tell them, like, yeah, hey, listen, I'm, it's like working for a crazy person. I used to say it's like working for Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. It's not easy working for me. But here's the benefit of it. And here's the creativity you get. We're going to try a bunch of different things. You have to be okay with failing forward into success and realize that we're going to have a lot of stumbles in that process. So for me, if you want to hire great people, know who you are, know what you as a company have to offer, know that as we get out of some of these, these pandemic issues, there's going to be people who want to work for you if you have a message that can be clear to them versus work for me because I have a job and I'll pay you. Interesting. Talk a little bit about managing these folks now and helping them feel like it was okay to make to make mistakes as long as they were in the process of moving toward what that intention was. Yeah, so what we did, we, we, like I said, we created these contests. So we had people who would try different ways to get into companies and we would go and show up. We whoever had the most failures of the week was actually the winner of the prize, not the person who had the most success. Because in that failure mindset, because failure is really just a construct. It's just a construct. If I try something and I've learned from it, I've really just learned. I haven't failed. So when I stop playing the game is when I stop playing the game. And so we would, we would lay out these contests. People would try things. We'd keep what worked and what didn't. And we'd look for what we would call like these little hidden gem moments. And you know, we're in Detroit. We're in the recession. I'm in debt. I'm selling manufacturing and staffing. That sounds like pretty much to your listeners probably the world's worst plot plan ever. What we found by asking different generative questions of our, of our buyers who weren't buying anything at the time, the question became, so when we get out of the recession, you have to hire again. Tell me the number one position you're going to be looking to fill. And they would give us like their unicorns, the things they could never find, the talent they could never find. Well, we figured out that that, that talent's out there. They're just not looking for it yet. So instead of building up just a client list of prospects somewhere, we built this massive candidate list like a sports team. We, you know, we, we pivoted into, we're going to represent the talent back into the marketplace, not just go out and fill orders, but rep the talent. What we found in that magic spot was there was an increase in demand and diminished supply for certain skilled trades talents around the United States. Okay, great. We found that, that, that talent would allow us, because of scarcity, to get paid faster and get paid more. That's actually how we got out of debt was finding those inflection points. If we had only approached it with one mindset of we, we work for the client, we satisfy the client needs, we go out and find them people, we would never have found that. We said, well, what is the marketplace telling us? You know, it's, it's like being the, the, the staffing whisperer. Mm. Let's, see what, let's see what it pulls out for us. And so I find with clients that approach the problem with curiosity versus def definitiveness, 
that's where the breakthroughs come yeah, in. Yeah, it's really interesting. Sometimes we're too close to the problem to really to really yes. see what the problem is. Is there is there a, a methodology that you use to recognize whether you're whether you're too close to the problem? I mean, let's say let's say it's a really pressing thing, and I, and I don't have time to call Todd and go through a and go through a coaching process. What what can I look? How can I how can I reframe it? How can I look at it differently in that moment? So for me, I go back to what's not working. So if you're, you know, I just had a client reach out to me before I got in this interview with you. He's got a staff issue. He's got an employee issue. And yes, he has an employee, an employee performance problem. But I, 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 and I, I texted him and said, that's kind of like your, your wife's guy with you. Is that really the issue? Because you can change out the employee, put another employee in, like swapping out cogs. Maybe I go, I go, Tell me what you think is beyond this. And he wrote back, he goes, we have a leadership issue. I'm the leader and I have issues with having difficult conversations. Yes, that's more the problem. And I said, now that you've identified the, the bigger a bigger issue, what is a bigger byproduct of said problem? He goes, my staff is going to lose confidence in my leadership and my, good, my A players are going to potentially leave me because I'm keeping around to the C mm. player. Now we've been working for together for about three years, so you know he's had the, the mechanism. But ultimately, it comes down to what, why, is, what's the symptom, not the root cause? Identify the symptomality, tie it back to try, and it's always inside out stuff, Dave. It's always inside of us is the answer. It, so if you're going after the wrong marketplace, well, who chose to go after that marketplace? Probably yeah. the entrepreneur or the consultant hired by the entrepreneur. And did the entrepreneur advocate? Did, did he did he delegate without you know? Did he trust but not verify? What did he do? It's always it's always a people issue. So I say to my leaders, what is your contribution to your misery? Let's start there. Yeah. Now talk about the different plateaus people hit and how they have to break through them. Because from from the outside, you can generally look at somebody's business and you can say, okay, this got you to five million in annual revenue. You want to go to twenty. You know, how do I break it to this guy that he's going to have to gut 60 percent of everything he did yeah. to go from five to 20? Right. That's just it's like a, sh a snake shedding his skin. That's just one of those things that has to happen. And as entrepreneurs, we, we know this intuitively. But how do you break the news to somebody? And once you break the news to them, how do you get them to you know embrace the suck of having to rebuild their entire team? That's such a great question. I wish more people thought of it like you do. Um, I, I actually break it to them on our very first diagnostic call to see if I'm a good fit for them. And I say to them, I said, you will be, if you work with me for a year, my typical engagement started a year, but I've got clients who've been now with me for several years. You're going to be different. And as you show up in the room differently, whether the room is your living room at home with your family or your boardroom with your leaders, you will be different. Your differences will either attract, like branding, they'll attract your ideal employee or they're going to repel your non-ideal employee. It's those people in the middle where you've got to make some decisions about. But I'm telling you, if you've got 10 people on your leadership team, you can expect within 12 to 24 months, up to half or more could be gone. I've literally seen, I had one leader who replaces, you know, he heard my story about how I fired my entire company in one day and started over. He's like, I can do that too. I'm like, it's not a badge of honor. It's a lot of effing work, dude. It's not easy, man. But the reality is I start that conversation from the very first call. 
and then I repeat it as we go through. And I, I, I found that, that because I still use a coach, so I have a coach I, and I coach, and my coach is constantly reinforcing to me the changes he sees within me and how I used to handle things versus how I handle them now. So I model that to my clients. I mirror that to them. So by the time that they have to make those difficult decisions or by the time that toxic employees decide to, decided to leave that team or I, I've seen it even with my employees and, in their, or my clients and their marriage is like, hey, listen, when you finally decide you're going to double down and get marriage counseling to work through the toxicity in your home, they're less surprised. There's less shock and awe. So for me, I, I, I stated up front, I repeat and reinforce it. I point it out to them every step of the way because people like you and I know it's inevitable. And you know, as you mentioned earlier, it's like it's, it takes a lot of work to go from being an entrepreneur to being a CEO. I'm working with a, an entrepreneur right now who's decided, she has decided that, you know what? I don't want to be the CEO. I want to own the business and I'm going to replace myself. Dave, once she had that light bulb moment and once she said that out loud, it, it was like a 300 pound weight had been lifted off her shoulders and she's buoyant and she's like, okay, this is what I want, my CEO. I got a couple of kids. And she, it was self-acceptance. It was that ability to realize that she doesn't need to, if she doesn't want to, she doesn't need to be the CEO anymore. And that's okay. And she probably had a paradigm. She had a mental image of what this should have looked like. And the reality is, if you're an entrepreneur, it looks like whatever you want it to look like. And as long as you're happy and you're making money, that's all that really matters. And that gets us to our, our last uh, topic for discussion today. Life by design, right? And this is a huge area of focus for me. Um, years ago, I was I was running a big um, consulting company, uh, $250 million in annual revenue. And one day, going to uh, see a client for a command performance, I got hit by a taxi. I was paralyzed. And I made a promise basically to God and to myself that if, if God let me get out of that, I would – uh, I would change things around and my my business would serve my life rather than the other way around. Well, since then, I've had two kids. Everything works. It's important for me that everybody listening and watching knows everything works. <laughs> and I made that adjustment. Right. So I now my business enables my lifestyle. And um, I you know, my mission is to help as many people as I can do the same thing. So you have this life by design uh, model, this this guide Talk about why you chose this and talk about how you help people achieve it. Um, I chose it because I wasn't doing it. I think, again, our mess becomes our message. Uh, I love your story there. Like, well, I'm, one, I'm glad you're okay. And, and, and two, you know, when we've walked a certain path, like maybe you and I have, maybe similar but different, you know, I think people will have a lot more respect for that guy's been through the fire. That woman has been through the trials and tribulations. Um, so for me, it's all was all out of my own suffering. You know, I, I made the ink. I remember we made the ink five thousand for the sixth time in my peer group. No one had done that yet, and you'd think, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I won the World Series again. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, like it just didn't have the 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 pill the, the the appeal for me. So here's what I learned, and here's why I pivoted into life a life by design model is. I was always seeking external stimuli to fill internal emptiness. And in order to fill that internal emptiness, that black hole within, that's, a, that's an inner working. So when I create a life by design, I found that where do I get my most joy? Where do I get my most energy? And that's what my coach, Danny Friedland, said. He goes, where do you get that? And that was being of service to others, not being of service to self. Like, I'll pay attention to that. I enjoyed having those light bulb moments with my clients. It literally fires up dopamine in my brain. Pay attention mm. to that. 
And I realized that I, while I owned a company, while I had you know a dozen employees at one point, 25, 26 at, one, at the highest number, I really wasn't, that wasn't firing me up. I put other people in place to manage the people. And I was really being a CEO of a recruiting company, often for other people, not for me. And so I thought, well, I've got this body of experience. How else can I apply it? And I saw the, the famous Stanford talk by those guys about, about life by design. And it, with Evans and the other guy, it blew me away. I'm like, that's it. Talked to my coach, got feedback on it, you know, from my trusted tribe. And ultimately for me, it was to recognize that I want a, a, a business I can do from anywhere in the world. I want a business that allows me freedom and flexibility. What did I want? I wanted a business that would allow me to travel. I wanted a business that would pay my bills, whatever those bills were. Um, I didn't say I needed to, to go out and create generational wealth. If it does, great. If it doesn't, that's also fine. But I ultimately decided I want to leave a legacy on this planet and make a difference. So I wrote my all my pieces out and it all went back to the life by design model, which for me is doing what I want, where I want, with whom I want as often as I want to do it to my purpose and ikigai of improving lives. If I'm improving lives, whether it's being on your show or standing in line at the grocery store, I'm satisfied. And that I can take with me into my, into my later years where all the money in the world and the boats and the cars and all the other nonsense never satisfied my internal demons. That's great. So how can people get more of Todd Palmer? I mean, we're all going to go out and buy Suck to Success, a guide for ex extraordinary entrepreneurship. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. But how can we get more Todd Palmer if we want more Todd Palmer? Well, you know what? It's kind of like more cowbell, right? Exactly. We need more, we need or, or, more cowbell. Absolutely. We, we, we need more Todd Palmer. That's right. It's like when, when, when the book came out, I was kidding with the, the publisher, and they just they called it Todd Father Tuesday because, you know, I play baseball. And you got Todd Frazier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played for the Yankees and the Mets. And so, you know, it's Todd Father. We need more Todd Father. So if people want more Todd Father, it's really simple. Go to ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com. I'm giving away the first chapter of the book for free to anybody who's interested. If we haven't sold you on it today, that's fine. Read it. Please enjoy it. Um, but if you're really curious, I, I would challenge anybody to recognize that when, we, when you explore coaching with anybody, whether it's me or Dave or anyone else, you're investing in yourself. It's not an expense, but an investment. And if it's something that's rattling around in your brain, reach out. I'm happy to talk to you for 30 minutes for free, no charge. Um, last time I, I did a podcast, I actually got a, a, a call from a young lady, woman who still really touched me. She was homeless living in her car and she heard the podcast. And she started off the call by saying, you said that you talk to people because it, you, your goal in life is to improve lives. I can't afford to hire you. I live in my car. Will you help me improve my life? Oh my God, like absolutely. And I talked to her and I've talked to her a couple times. That's why I do this. And, and for her to have the courage, and I always I say, it was a very mm. courageous call because she's like, She's like, I can't pay you. And I said, that completely makes sense. But when you can do, when you become super successful, as I think you will, make sure these moments are you're able to pay them forward because of the time we're spending together. And she had three or four light bulb moments. I hear from her every now and then. But to know I made a difference in her day was, was absolutely satisfying. So I appreciate it when people reach out. 
I appreciate the conversations. Like just like I appreciate our conversations. All today. right. So extraordinaryadvisors.com, extraordinaryadvisors.com. We're putting that in the show notes. Suck to success, a guide for extraordinary entrepreneurship. That's the book. There's a link to it in the show notes as well. Todd, it was great to have you spend some time with us. Thanks very much. Those of you who are watching on YouTube, I want you to take a look at the baseballs behind Todd. And I want you to, if you can guess the exact number of baseballs Todd has on his shelf, I'm not only going to buy a copy of his book and send it to you, I'm going to buy a copy of my own book and send it to you. So Todd's going to send me the exact number of baseballs he has on his shelf behind him. And keep in mind, there are baseballs behind his head. So you got to go to YouTube and watch the show. If you listen to it on the podcast, you're missing out because there's, oh, there's, there's at least... Well, I'm not even going to guess. There's there's lots of baseballs back there. Todd, it was a real it was a real pleasure having you on. Thanks for joining us today. Dave, thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, again, I, I love your energy and I love thank the you, conversation. Todd. Folks, this is the Inside BS Show. We're here every day taking inside business strategy, sharing all the insider business secrets and cutting through all the inside BS that may be holding you back. We're right back here again tomorrow with another edition of our show. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.